Welcome to the Community Feedback Loop, a weekly podcast about sharing conversations between people in gaming and esports focused on community, public relations, and how we communicate in the video game industry. I'm Bob Holtzman, the host for the show. I've worked in games since 2007 and founded Co-op Mode Communications, a consultancy that offers public relations for games as a service and the communities who support them. Follow Co-op Mode Communications on LinkedIn. You can connect with me via the links in the episode's description. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Drop a follow on Spotify. Please support the show if you like what we're doing. And on that, let's throw it to our interview. This is going to be an amazing conversation today. Our guest and I met while we were both working at Riot Games. And since then, she's gone on to do some awesome work on NBA 2K Mobile and more recently, Marvel Strike Force. More importantly, or, or a big reason why we're super excited to have her on today is she's become a very serious voice for improving the video game industry as a powerful viral storyteller on the social media platform, TikTok. So um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Leslie Sullivan to Community Feedback Loop. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Leslie, um, let's just get this out of the way so everybody knows that um, we've known each other for a little bit. Um, I would consider you a friend. And, um, you know, we got to work a little bit at Riot, but, you know, we probably were more tangentially um, working together at Riot. I, I obviously worked with your your husband, Chris, a lot. But... We've kind of become more friends because we play PUBG together, which is kind of a reoccurring theme in this show, you know, that that's kind of my go-to game. And um, you're like one of the people that actually suffer through my trash play on PUBG. <laughs> uh, no, I, it's, it's a good time. I promise. It, it definitely is. And I can't count how many times that we're playing and I will die first. And then, you know, whoever else we're playing will like make a mistake and get got. And then somehow Leslie will be the last one standing. And, and, and Leslie will be like, Oh, should I just like go like drown myself in a river? And I'm like, and we're all like, no, like it's not your fault. We stink. And we'll like inevitably like end up in like the top two or three. And Leslie will like get a couple kills. And then like, you know, she'll be like, out, out, outgunned, right? It'll be like three to one, two to yeah. one, four to one sometimes. And, but it'll be like hilarious because she'll always kind of find her way into these like really fun situations. So it's a lot of fun to play with Leslie. I wish I was a better teammate so I could do more than just like, you know, every now and then like throw a, an extended mag her way or something. <laughs> I, I always feel the pressure to whenever that situation happens. Uh, yeah, I, you're right. I always ask like, can I can I just like go yeah blow myself up with a frag and hope I hope every single time you guys are like yeah let's just get get into the match really quick, but no I'm always encouraged and it was just like oh dang it now I have to actually go play this one out and I'm just like sweating and I I, I have to perform and everybody's watching me everyone's just sitting there chatting and then watching my screen it's a it's a lot of pressure <laughs> but it it forces me to get get better so I appreciate it. Well, I mean, without fail, it's entertaining. Like, <laughs> even like if you just die right away, it's usually like in some like funny way. So I think that's one of the values of that game is it is kind of derpy and you get these weird moments that mm -hmm. um, make it a lot of fun. I, I know now I'm like, okay, I got to figure out a time to play with Leslie again because it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's enough PUBG talk. 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, let's talk a little bit about kind of your passion for video games just to start. Because, you know, one of the things that we'll talk about lots of different games that you're playing that I either don't know or don't play. Um, You know, you're, you're like a little bit of an encyclopedia with knowledge for different types of games. And it's, it's always interesting, I think, getting your perspective because like there's stuff that you will try that I never do. Like, where did that start? Like, you know, was there like a spark? Was there like a game you played? How, how did you like really kind of get this, like this passion for, for video games? I think what it really started with is I have an older brother and through him consoles were in our house growing up. Um, It started with the Sega Genesis. I know he had a Game Boy before that. Um, And then we moved on to Playstations, Xbox, uh, and so on. Um, But it really started with him. And through him, I got access to a bunch of different games. I didn't have any control over what games came into the house. Uh, When we... So it started from a young age, but like especially during like the the PlayStation era, like the original PS1 era, um, his friends were really into burning CDs, uh, like burning games, and that's how they shared a bunch of games. So they would just rent games. Um, I I won't tell anybody what their real name, what their names were, uh, or my brother's identities, or or my brother's identity, or anything like that. I don't want them to get in trouble. It's totally it's totally cool. It was a long time ago. Anyways, they would rent games from the local like game store and then copy them, and then that's how they would they would distribute it. And you had to use like the Game Shark to to start it. You you put in a legitimate game first with a Game Shark, and you open the CD like case as it's spinning in the like it's the loading screen, and then you would put in whatever the burnt game was. Um, and I just tried everything like i didn't have uh like cd art to reference i didn't have booklets to reference all i saw was the name of the game on the cd and through that i just like forced myself to try the entire library of games that we had uh because we got like 60 of them or something like that something crazy um and because of that like it just exposed me to a ton like i didn't get to choose but i'm i'm grateful for it i think that's where it came from is i've just always been curious because now i've i've kind of had a taste of everything that makes so much sense to me because when you are forced to figure something out, I mean, gosh, how many times was this a conversation at Riot where everyone would be like, League needs to like, you know, be kinder and, and let people, uh, you know, learn the game. But then it was also like, on the flip side, the reason why people love it so much is that they, they learn on their own, right? It's, yeah. it's such a balance, I think. Um, how has that, like, knowing that, knowing that, you were able to have this passion to put time into something. How has that kind of um, helped you on your journey as someone that works in games? And, you know, if that is an argument, do you have a side on it? Or do you like, you know, see it more as an opportunity to, you know, both challenge yourself in terms of games production, but also thinking from it, you know, that player perspective? Um. I think the way it has helped me is I'm I'm not boxed out of any particular genre of of game. Like I'm I'm very into whether whether it's because there are going to be interviews coming up and I'm looking to make a change for my own career and so I'm like looking at new game studios or whatever um or I'm just interested in a new genre. Like I invest a lot of time into whatever that product is, whatever that game is or whatever that genre is. 
Um, and I like I need to be able to speak to it. I don't have to be necessarily like the best player, but I think being able to understand the fundamental like player experience, what people get out of it, and like what like why people play this kind of game is super helpful um, as as a producer or project manager, um, as just somebody who works at a particular game studio. For like a production front, it's it's understanding what priorities various game teams might have without having to like do a lot of that work if that makes sense so like you you're able you're able to to like do that work up front where you you already have that mindset from the get-go and so i feel like you can cut through a lot of the clutter by already understanding your your audience and like what the overall goals are and you know how that feels as a player too um i don't think that people need to like uh if we're going to be talking about like forcing yourself to play certain games if it's out of your wheelhouse, uh, I get it. There's a cap for sure. I don't. I don't think every single game is for every single person. But I think still being able to understand what the intention is makes you a better game developer, whether you're the designer or artist or whoever. Um, it's super important to have that perspective. You know, so we met at Riot, but you've worked um, at Cat Daddy and Scopely since then. I. You know, congratulations! I understand you're about to, you know, get started in a, in a new role at Facebook. Mm-hmm. What, what have you? What are kind of like? Do you have like specific takeaways where you're like, oh, I learned this at Riot, I learned this at Cat Daddy, I learned this at um, Scopely, or you know, any of the other like kind of moments, or you know, how do you kind of either co- do you compartmentalize, or is it like more of like stacking learning for you when you think about you know where you're at, especially with production and trying to help make a game better. Yeah, I think the knowledge does stack. That's what I'm I'm getting from all of my experience. Uh, but the thing that stacks the most is learning how to work with different types of people. Uh, so every single every single studio is so different. And at this point I've worked with so many different personalities from you know the easiest like person to get along with is like super supportive of everything you do. To the most difficult, like stakeholder who's inaccessible, vague, everything, and I've I've worked with everybody in between those two, uh, like radicals, um, and being able to navigate those personalities have been my huge takeaways. Um, all the other stuff in between, like production methodology, that's those are things that are that I have found at least to be like either you learn on the job and they're very specific to that team, and so you're going to have to tailor it anyways. And it's nice to have experience from before that, but every team is unique. Um, so I don't think you gain very much going into a new situation and be like, we're going to do it my way because I've seen this happen before. Um, but it's mostly the personality thing and working with different groups of people that has been most beneficial for me. Oh my gosh. Well, and I, I would like to say that, you know, it's like, oh, every industry has their personalities, but it definitely feels like in the video game industry, like personalities get like strong. It's, they're not diluted. They're not like, there's not a lot of people who are like, this is my work face and how I act at work. And this is my at home face. It's like, you're getting like kind of the, the raw personality for that person. Um, 
So I, I applaud you for, for learning and, and building that. For, I don't know that I always do the best job of it. I think that's a really challenging thing to do, to learn how to manage different personalities and understand why they act the way they do. How much I've seen, I think I've seen you share some, some memes around production work and, and, you know, some of it's like you're a therapist, you're the psychologist, you're the, the mom. Um, you know, is that, do you think that's just inherent to kind of like the sort of role that you're playing or would we all benefit? Like, would it, is it more like, Hey, Bob, really, you should benefit from, from trying to like play nice with other personalities than the ones you, you may like better than others. Um, I think we would all benefit from it. I do think that production has found them like found that discipline has found itself in that role because they are usually so multidisciplinary or like the when they're assigned to a team, they're usually working with more than just one subset of people. And so they're kind of forced into building those bridges and and playing nice. Um, I would. Yeah, I, I mean, I, if everybody played nice and everybody knew how to prioritize and all came to an agreement, then there would be no need for producers. Uh, and that's ultimately like, that is my goal. I tell people I am a, like a self-immolating producer where I, I would rather be able to set up a team up for success in terms of like understanding what their schedule is and what their priorities are and how to make good decisions and keep like their workload healthy and everything like that to the point where I'm not needed. That, that's my ultimate end goal with any team I, I work with. I don't think it's ever actually going to realistically happen like on a bigger scale because people just have too much to think about. But that is like that's that's what I what I try to work for so that hopefully everybody does end up having that kind of mentality as well because I don't know. I yeah, you're you're right. The personalities are very strong. I think yeah, very raw. Um and as a result, we do run into conflict very often just from the way people talk to each other. Um but uh Production does help smooth it over. I think we could all benefit from being a bit better about it, though, just in general. <laughs> I mean, that's probably just a good life lesson, yeah. right? To like, just I think it's part about it's, it's part of trying to be open minded and understand and respect other people's differences, which I I definitely aspire to do. <laughs> I don't know that I hit it regularly, but um, it, it is a it is important, right? It, it, it's important to try to do that. So I. Leslie, I wanted to kind of touch really quickly before we get into, you know, some of the, um, I think where we're talking about where there's some natural progression with that, like in, you know, the challenges of having different personalities, but also like not only personalities, but maybe people who don't, I think that rawness, it comes from a place of maybe not understanding that sometimes you should have a work persona and a home persona, um, but before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about um, your. So you're you've been working in production, but you also did some work in narration, and I I think that's gonna you know I want to set the table with this and kind of talk a little bit about your background with narrative work because I think that's gonna help explain to people who either uh, know your work and are curious about how you got into your your TikTok work. I should say, um, I think it'll help explain to people why it's so effective because. One of the reasons why I always get a kick out of your, your social media efforts and, um, I don't know what we call them, videos, TikToks, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I always preach about them is that there's like this clear 
narrative. Like I, I know when I watch this, I'm going to get a story. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how it's going to end. Um, but I know that I'm going to kind of get a story arc and I'll usually be laughing by the end of it, if not in the middle. Uh, so, but before we get there, what, what about narrative work, um, appeal to you and how have you been able to kind of leverage that, you know, now that you're more, you know, fully focused on production, uh, you know, and, you know, does that, does the TikToking and, and that sort of works uh, scratch the itch, you know, to kind of, you know, keep that kind of part of your brain happy, functional, busy? Yeah. Um, I love narrative design and writing. I think it comes from, well, for games specifically, I love role playing games. I love fantasy worlds and interesting character development and everything like that epic storylines, whatever I could get my hands on, especially when I was young, like that, that informed a lot of my like creativity and imagination growing up. And it just kind of stuck with me uh, throughout my life where that's, those are the games I primarily was drawn to up until recently. Like now, now I'm more into roguelikes, which are more like fast and fun. Just, you know, we're here to, we're here to play the game and, and be good at it and improve. Uh, or, you know, even things like League of Legends, which does have lore and I worked on it, <laughs> but it's, I'm there for the competition and the play with my friends. Whereas previously I, I focused more on like the solo experience of role playing games. Um, but that's where it comes from. I was interested in doing that at, at Riot because that's where I, I was and they have interesting champions or, you know, characters. And I wanted to know how I could get involved in that. And so I just started with going to writing workshops once a week while I was still in player support. And eventually a writer's assistant position opened up and that's how I got my foot in the door um, because I had that prior relationship with that group um, and I met the creative director and we hit it off and it, it worked out. Um, it does help satisfy that itch for sure. I, 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 I go every once in a while, I get the question if I would rather go back to narrative design or not like full time. And I think at this point, uh, while it sounds fun, think my passion lies in production for from now on um i i really love being able to to help see creative efforts get made and so that's that's what i tried to do as a producer and still have like my finger on the pulse in terms of of creative things and narrative design or or whatever it may be um but uh that's yeah this is my creative outlet in the meantime is making these these videos uh, and I and I love I love humor. I'm not like I've never done like stand up or anything, and I, I never plan on doing it. But like I like to have fun, and I like telling jokes, and I just like bringing levity to whatever I can. And it's also like the way that I like to kind of, I guess, cope with things. I don't know what else you're supposed to do. Like, and I'm I'm not I'm not interested in being like super dramatic about stuff or anything like that. Uh, but this is this is my my reaction, and this is how I know how to express myself and my writing um and then you know eventually my my videos and that's how i end up sorry making those uh and so yeah that that is my outlet even in my most recent job with uh scopely or at, at boundless um on marvel strike force uh, i worked with content designers who who made like the for every single release they released new new content that had stories attached to them and i was always invited to to give feedback and everything like that so every once in a while i would I would dabble in that and and suggest edits or new lines or anything like that. 
So there was a bit of that too. And it was, it was very, very kind of them to trust me with, with that. Cause they knew I had done narrative design in the past. Um, but, uh, yeah, from now on, it's probably, it's probably just production. We'll see. I, I totally get it. You know, um, I was a sports writer before and I still dabble and do like, um, radio to talk about like the sports I like. So, but when somebody like says to me, well, do you ever think about going back, just being a sports writer full time? I'm like, oh my God, no, <laughs> it sounds terrifying. <laughs> the deadlines and the, the pressure and the, you know, it's like, I, I love I love moonlighting. I love to like still like, you know, like dip a toe in there and just feel the water, but the idea of actually like, you know, being rebaptized is 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 really scary. Um and I I definitely thought what you said about humor was really interesting because it's so clear that that's such an important language for us to use about not just funny things, but important things and um, you know, I want to talk, uh, I, you know, obviously here at the Community Feedback Loop, we talk a lot about community engagement. We generally are talking about players, but one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you was, um, I love talking about the industry. I'm, you know, I feel very fortunate to be a part of the industry. It was, I came in a little bit later. It wasn't my first job, right? I, I kind of, I don't want to say fell into it, but was fortunate. And so I want to see it improve and, and grow up. That's, that's a lot of the times the, my mentality is like, we need to grow up. Um, and so one of the things I appreciate about your, your TikToks and so for, I guess we should try to explain them before we talk about them. We should try to explain if somebody is like, I don't watch TikTok and I don't use Twitter, but I'll listen to your podcast. I still want to explain what you do. Do you have a way you explain it or should I try? Like, Oh gosh. Um, what is the best way? Uh, I guess it depends if they're familiar with vine. Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're short videos, right? They're very short videos that tell a story that are often, um, a, a little bit snark, a little bit cynicism, just, really try to m- make uh, at least people take notice of awkward, uncomfortable, and sometimes just downright terrible situations that can come into the day-to-day work as a woman in gaming. Would that yeah. did I get close? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, for this work on TikTok, um, you've been coined... Game Development Truth Teller by Gamasutra. Um, I know I've enjoyed some of the other interviews that you've had with different media members in the gaming industry. And, you know, we've seen you use the platform to spread awareness about sexual harassment, mental health, and, you know, a popular one right now, overwork. Um, I think Naughty Dog's like back in the mix here, getting dinged yeah. for overwork. Take me to like when you realized, hey, this is something I should do. And then, like, you know, what is the process like? You know, how much time does it take you to put one of these together? You know, because I watch them and they seem so effortless, but I'm sitting there and I'm going like, there's all these little things that happen that are funny. And I'm like, she, she didn't just let it happen that way. Like she, she had intent. So I'm always curious, like how much time you're putting into these and, and, and how you kind of got it started. 
I don't remember what exactly caused me to start doing the game development one specifically. Other than I've always enjoyed TikTok as a platform and people talk about what they know about. And so at some point I decided to do that for, for myself. Even though I don't know if the audience on TikTok is actually there for, for game development. I mean, you know, a lot of it's inside baseball. There is a lot of game developers on TikTok that talk about actually creating games and people love that kind of thing. It's a very cool way for like indie developers to show off their work or, or anything like that and like communities or, or uh, studios to keep in touch with their communities. It's very cool. But actually talking about what it's like in the games industry was not something I I saw going on and I was like, hmm, maybe there's something there's something there. And and you know me, I've always been loud about this kind of thing. And I, I felt like I'd kind of run out of other venues. Like I had written the Cal- uh, California Sunday article like a year prior. Great piece, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like a year and a half prior, uh, which was awesome. Uh, it was an awesome experience. I'm I'm happy with the way it came out, but I just don't think it it's not going to do enough. I think it's not going to reach enough people. Um, it's certainly a different audience than like the the kids who do want to go into da- game development uh, as an adult. So I just saw an opportunity. There was like an untapped space within TikTok. And then I started cross posting it to Twitter. And it felt like it was much easier to gain traction on Twitter at the time. Um, and it just kind of went from there. Like I kept on getting positive reinforcement, basically a lot of good reactions from people. And the more I put out, the more reactions I was getting about, like, I've been through this, or I can't believe how many people have gone through this, or this happened to me, X, Y, and Z. And the more DMs I got, the more I realized, like, okay, this might actually might be important. It's not just, like, fun for me. But I think it fulfills this important feeling of you're not alone. People, Other people have gone through these kinds of things. And that's... That was like the hardest for me, not to get too personal about it, but like (laughs) whenever I would go through like some bad stuff in the games industry, I felt crazy. Like I always felt like this was my fault. It was personal. Nobody else is talking about this or, you know, like I just felt alone. Um, And now several years past, like a lot of bad experiences, I realized that's not the case. A lot of people have gone through many similar things. Uh, and uh, so it's important for me to do that for other people. And I, I hope I'm connecting people in that way by realizing that they're not they're not alone in this kind of situation. Um, a, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was just going to say, it's really fascinating to hear you say you thought you were alone. Because like, here I am, like, you know, just middle-aged dude, you know? I'm like, everyone looks at me and goes, yeah, you work in video games. Or... Everyone's like, yeah, you're a sports writer. Like, I just look the part, right? And so, and I would like watch this stuff. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've totally seen this happen. You know, like maybe it hasn't happened to me, but I've seen it happen and been like, what? I don't, you know, I would love to say, oh, I'm sure I like stood up and said, stop that. But I'm sure sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. And sometimes you're just flabbergasted. And then like, it's it's such a weird deal. It's That's what's so amazing to me that like, there's this disconnect. It feels like there's this disconnect between what's going on and what people talk about. And you kind of like crack that open, right? Like that was like a seal 
thing and you're like, no, let's just crack this open. And then it's just like floods because, you know, I don't watch your TikToks. I watch them on Twitter and then like reading the comments and it's like all these game, like game developers and they're all like, just like, uh huh, preach. Yes. <laughs> um, can we make this stop, please? Now, yesterday. And it's so it's, it's just amazing that, um, that, that, that there was this, this, this like disconnection. What, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, you know, you went from like feeling kind of isolated? These are these personal situations to like, you make a couple of them public and then all of a sudden, like you said, it becomes this important thing where now it is helping change the tenor of a conversation. Um, I think what happened, well, for me personally, I started pursuing it because I finally felt comfortable uh, in my position in the games industry. Like I felt uh, hireable <laughs> for the first time ever. Um, I, I loved my, my studio at the time, um, even though I just left, but like, I, I absolutely felt respected and safe there. And I knew there was a good group of people. Um, and that was basically what it took for me to get to that point. And so I think when I, when I think about why it's not happening more often with other people, like why people aren't talking about these things, even though they're happening, I I think it's a lot of it is people are not in that situation. A lot of people are at the place where they're experiencing bad experiences. And so they don't feel safe talking about it or bringing it up. A lot of these people don't have resources to protect themselves if they wanted to do anything about it or they don't know what to do next. Um, and so it's I, like I, I got lucky, right? Like I have a great support network. I, I had an incredible job that I loved. And I knew they would be okay with it. And if they weren't going to be okay with it, then like I had the means to just go find another job if I wanted to. But that's not the case for most people, I think, or at least like a lot of marginalized people in games. And so you just don't see very much being talked about it. Um, and that that's I think that's where like a lot of these ideas of like, well, we should unionize comes from so that people do have that kind of protection. And like they do, they are able to talk about these things more openly so they can, you know, get some sort of recourse one way or another, or at least not be afraid to bring up stuff. Um, but it is, I think it ultimately comes down to like some sort of sense of security. Uh, at least that's for me personally, that's where it, that's where it came from. I was having a good enough time for the first time <laughs> to be able to actually express my, my frustrations and experiences in like a, a fun way. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I think about, you know, I think about it just mistakes that I've made in my career. I go and think about why did I choose to make, what was that decision? Why did I make it? And I think about the, oh, the fear of like, well, what if I lose this job or, you know, and, and that's just on like tactical stuff, right? Like you throw in, you know, someone being sexually harassed by their boss and it's like, it's like a whole other level of fear, right? Like, you know, it, it's, that makes a lot of sense. So what do we need to do? What is someone like, you know, if you're a, if you have a manager behind your name tag or a director, you know, your director of, or vice president of, you know, what do you, what, what, what can we do um, to like kind of 
help make people feel more comfortable? Or do you think the system's kind of designed to keep people feeling uncomfortable? And, you know, it's like, if you can't just kind of like have that aura of vulnerability, then maybe they don't want to hear from you. Right. I think the system is designed to make people, you know, feel this way. Uh, So I do think on on some level, it does need to be adjusted uh, from the very top, uh, you know, in a government sense (laughs) or something, right? Like it has to be a regulatory thing. Um, And I think it's like, it's small things. I say they're small because they seem small to me, but like, you know, removing um, non-disparagement clauses when people exit a company. Um, What's the other big one? Oh, like forced arbitration, just things like that. Like just starting there would be a great way because at least in that way, people feel like they can, they can do something about uh, if they have like a legitimate grievance. Um, I do think like if, if we had some sort of organization that could provide uh, access to lawyers, because like, this is, this is what it is. It's like for people who you you hear all these horror stories coming out of like QA and people in QA typically are not paid very well. And so if there is something that they could actually like pressure a company on, they're not going to have the funds to, to back it. It, Like where I, like, I don't even know, I wouldn't even know where to start with any of that. Like, it seems like astronomical. Uh, just like an overwhelming burden to even like try to pursue that on my own. Uh, and and then you're like in a situation where you probably are, have quit that job or you got fired. So now your stream of income is gone and you're trying to like pursue justice on top of that uh, as somebody who's probably making like, I don't know, $15 an hour in Santa Monica. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, it's just not going to yeah. happen. Like if you make $15 an hour in Santa Monica, which I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people at studios that you and I have worked at that do, or maybe even 20, let's say 20, right? Like, let's just throw them a bone. You have to live two hours away or you have to live with so many other people. It's, it's like, it's one or the other, you know, like. We literally moved away from California because of cost of living. Now we were fortunate to come back and things worked out, but you know, we, we moved away thinking, well, we love California, but it's just too cost, too cost prohibitive. You know, and my wife and I, we weren't making $20 an hour. You know, we were both working and had good jobs when we made the decision to move, but, um, and the decision to move back. But yeah, it, that's a really interesting one. So do you feel like, um, do you see it? I, I mean, we see it a lot in the press. It's clearly something I think the media talk about. A, because there's been a lot of unionization in their industry um, because they've gone through such a tough time. Um, I, where I find it really interesting is that, you know, the newspaper industry was losing top line revenue. You know, not to get too businessy here, but when I worked in the newspaper industry, the revenue was going out the door. Subscriptions were down. Craigslist ate their lunch. That, I mean, Craigslist is what really destroyed the, the, the newspaper industry because really? classifieds, classifieds oh. was like, think about it. You had dozens, if not hundreds of little businesses and people like buying these little, tiny little advertisements, like the classified ads back in the day, Leslie, they would be so thick. You wouldn't even know what to do with it. It would be like a dictionary, you know? <laughs> And then Craigslist just literally gone, right? But the video game industry, for the most part, um, especially the successful companies, 
they have really, really healthy top line revenue. Mm -hmm. And so it's fascinating to me that there's been this disconnect between the plight of the people that are working on their product and not really understanding their value. Um, because it's, if you're making $20 an hour QA in a game, you're probably being undervalued. Um, especially if you're expected to do that for more than a year or two. You know, it's one thing if it was like an internship and it's like, Hey, those of you that are good, you're going to make the cut. You're going to go up and do something else and you're going to get paid well. And those of you that aren't, we're going to see, uh, you know, say thanks, but you know, you're not good enough, but that's not the world, right? It, that they, they'll, they'll let somebody sit in QA for, for ages, right? Without like kind of making a call. Um, that's what surprises me about this. How much heat do you feel like you get like talking about this stuff? And, you know, does it, has it, does it, it, it do, does it worry you, right? Like, do, do you get, I don't want to say scared, but, you know, like, have you had, you know, ever had an executive or had somebody say, you know, well, I don't really understand what you're doing and why you think this is valuable. Uh, thankfully, no, uh, not not from my uh, not not while I was at Scopely. Um, uh, yeah, like like I said, I just I just had a feeling, I, and my trust was placed in the the correct way <laughs> that they would be they would be fine with it, and they were. Um, there's I I also like made it. I was very careful to make sure that there was nothing calling them out like i did not want to i i tried to prevent any any of my real life experiences during that time to creep in to my actual videos so there would be no question about it um because that's the last thing i i really wanted i i really respected the people there i didn't want anybody to think i was like sub tiktoking them or something um so that's uh thankfully no um i i it has been a weird way to like reconnect to people I ha either haven't talked to for a long time, or like I, I only briefly spoke to them when I worked at like Riot or or wherever, um, and like we got in touch because they found the videos and like they shared a story with me um, or uh, various other com um, companies. Some people I've actually never met before or ever worked with, uh, who like wanted to reach out and talk to me about other things. Uh, that's that's also been a thing that's been happening. It's fascinating. Uh, thankfully, no, yeah, professional retaliation, uh, and very, very few haters too. Like from from like the the comments, like from from people who are not my bosses. Uh, and I think it's because I'm not targeting the gaming community. Like I'm not targeting gamers. Uh, right. It's it's only to my other professionals or upwards. And uh, no, I don't think any any. People are much more careful uh, to out themselves on Twitter when their job is at stake. Like they don't want to, they don't want to reveal yeah. themselves as that asshole. So uh, I, it's, I've been very careful in that regard. Like I'm sure there's a Discord or whatever that shit talks me endlessly whenever I put up a video, but they're not doing to that me. Like they're not saying that publicly. So whatever. <laughs> well, you're not punching down. Which is super important. And then I think to your point about how you're not sub TikToking your, your coworkers, <laughs> the universalness of it is what I find powerful because I can see stuff and go, man, I feel that. Right. And I'm not, again, like I don't think of myself as marginalized in any way. Um, you know, and, 
I, I can even share them with my wife who doesn't work in the video game industry at all. And just as a woman, she'll be like, yeah, it sounds about right. You know, I don't <laughs> maybe understand these 10 words that she used because they're gaming specific or game. I should be like gaming development specific, but she'll be like, I get the gist. And yeah, it's, it's annoying. Um, okay. Let's, I want to keep talking about this, but I want to talk a little bit about TikTok. A, because Shay is, um, you know, that, that, that TikTok make it drop, can't stop, big fan. We talk about this all the time <laughs> and we have different, different guests. Like we had a guest on the other week and she like went off on TikTok and was like calling it the bane of humanity. Um, you know, it was pretty funny. She, she had a really good rant about it. I, I'm going to guess you're, you've already said you like it. So, you know, it's good to get different opinions on the social platform of the day. Um, was there anything you'd mentioned Vine? Was, was it just like kind of being someone that had used Vine that made TikTok easy for you to pick up and leverage to tell these stories? Um, I actually hadn't really used a lot of Vine when it was out. I think I only used it a couple of times. Um, I didn't really get the handle of it uh, when it was a thing. But I'm, I was drawn to TikTok because I loved, uh, and you kind of alluded to this, how effortless it seemed. Like, I love the idea uh, that that anybody can just pick up their phone and record something in their room and it doesn't matter. Like, as long as it's poignant or funny or, I don't know, entertaining in some way, like, that's all it takes. Like, you don't need to think about it. It can be like a five second thing. Um, and in that way, it's very, like, accessible. I, for somebody who makes content on TikTok, I don't spend a ton of time on it. And so, like, I have my, like, curated list of people I follow, and that's almost exclusively who I watch. And then every once in a while, maybe, like, one night a week, I will go on to, like, my For You page, and I will scroll for, for 30 minutes. And then that's it. Then I'm done. Um, and I, I'm, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones where I can just be like, okay, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> like, and oftentimes when I post a video, because I'll do it, uh, I forgot to answer your question earlier, but, like, I'll, I'll, I'll make these on my lunch break. Like I, I tried to get a head start on the actual idea beforehand and then between 12 and 1 or whatever my break will be, I'll make it and, and upload it. I, for a long time, I tried to get better about, about it. Like I wanted to film it on weekends. So they would be, all be ready and, you know, this, that and the other and just be ahead of the game. But I never really got on that. I did that successfully like twice, but it is a lot of work to like actually be like, okay, now is, today is my TikTok creation day. Um, I'd rather do it spontaneously. It kind of forces me to get it done. Anyways, I, yeah, like I, I just have to, to do it and I'll upload it and then I close the app and go back to work. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. I'm not like the, I'm not probably not the, the typical TikTok content creator because it is just like a vehicle. And I don't expect a lot for that from that particular community either. Like, uh, I've talked about this with a couple of other people too, but like this, the, the community, or the audience on TikTok is uh, much younger than on Twitter. Like on Twitter, there is a lot of like very uh, uh, meaty discussion about a video I'll put up. People like quote retweet it and have their own anecdotes or whatever. But TikTok, there's a lot of like, I get a lot of questions from from younger people and be like, oh my God, this is the way it actually is. Like I always wanted to go into game development. And now I don't like, this seems so scary. Everything I hear about, it's awful. And then a lot of questions about how to break into the games industry. Um, so it's just different on these two different uh, uh, platforms. But I don't know. It's also weird because my the videos actually on 
the app, like the TikTok app, don't seem to do as well. And I think a lot of it's like the algorithm uh, where it'll decide to show people on their For You page or not. But also like anything that I post that is specifically or that is specific to the games industry performs worse than just general, oh, jobs are crazy, huh? Like <laughs> people, that's more universal. Like people relate yeah. to that kind of thing more. And those are the ones that go viral on TikTok rather than games industry stuff. So basically what you're saying is that Twitter blew it by not just making Vine native to their platform. So that way you would have just been making your content on Vine for Twitter. Got it. Yep. Um, and obviously there's a lot more to what you said. I was just being silly, <laughs> but um, do you, 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 Shay's brought this up with me a bunch. Uh, I've watched just a tiny bit of it, but you mentioned that there's a lot of indie devs that are now like kind of behind the scenes in uh, TikToks. Do you see that as kind of a future like win win space for uh, the gaming industry? Or, you know, do you think we haven't even scratched the surface on how games and TikTok will kind of, you know, uh, combine and, and, you know, really distract us from whatever we're supposed to actually be doing with our, our days? Yeah, I think we're just at the beginning. Um, I'm very curious to see how uh, people much more creative than, than I am will use use that platform to talk about actual game development um and show like yeah progress and everything like that uh a lot of you know a lot of what people put on on tiktok is a lot of community engagement in some way and so that's what i'm seeing a lot of with uh indie developers is like hey like you the viewer help me build this game like contribute by voting on something or like tell me what you want to see in the comments and we'll do that next video things like that uh, it's very cool and I think it feels very personal because like a lot of these I, you either see like indie solo devs so it's going to be themselves um, or being able to have like a personality do very like uh, you know personal TikToks one-on-one basically is super cool like it's very it's it's just very powerful and I think it it helps uh it helps bring that or it, ma- it makes that community feel very close-knit by being able to comment and be like you know, hey, bestie, great job on this screenshot or, or something, you know, uh, it's yeah, it's it's we're, we're going to we're going to see some very cool things come out of this. Hey, Shay, um, is bestie hot in, in your neck of the woods? Because my uh, my my niece, who's a sophomore in college, is like she, when she came to visit this summer, I think I heard her say bestie about 100 times a day. <laughs> This is the first time I've ever heard of it. Really? Uh, no, yeah. Oh. So, Unfortunately. It hasn't hit, hasn't hit Pacific Northwest yet. All right, you guys, a little slow on the uptake, man. The, the make it drop generation, I guess it just hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to like talk a little bit about the industry. We've had a lot of tough conversations of late. Activision Blizzard is getting sued. Riot's been getting sued. And, you know, they're saying the state of California is overreaching. Then there's all these people coming out saying, no, they're not. Um, you know, this, it, I'm just going to come out and ask this. Is the shitty behavior and sometimes downright illegal things that we're, we're hearing happening or maybe know that are happening, like, is this native to the industry or do you think this is something that's still like on a societal level that we haven't rooted out of, you know, just understanding that women work now and we just, you know, we're still like stuck in the fifties 
and to a certain standpoint. Um, no, I don't think it's it's native to the games industry. Um, I'm sure it happens everywhere else. And this is this is actually something like a sentiment I see on my TikTok video uh, video comments too. Uh, like when people who are not in games discover my my content, where they'll be like, "Oh yeah, it happens in law too." Like I feel you, or in academia, or or wherever, uh, like service industry. It's it's everywhere. Um, I think for for games, the reason why it's such like a hot topic for us though is, I think because it's a bit of a younger industry, even though it's been around for a long time, decades, right? Like like 50, 50 years or something. Um, there, I think we're seeing like a cultural shift in terms of how we we view work. And you're just kind of capturing that younger audience that has realized that they don't have to work themselves to the bone at like the expense of their own happiness or anything like that. Um, and they're just, they've been given more platforms to talk about it. So they're, they're already there on those platforms. They're going to use them. Um, but no, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not native. It's not unique to, to game development whatsoever, uh, which is sad. Uh, and I do think you're right. Like it is, it is going to have to take a bigger, a bigger cultural shift to be able to like fully address it. And there are some things that we can do to help in the meantime, which is like, yeah, like what we we're talking about earlier, um, more regulation or or whatever at a higher level. That's great. But ultimately, I do think that we need to shift our attitudes and kind of check ourselves daily, like day to day, of of like how how are we treating people. And like, really take a step back and like a breath and be like, okay, is this, am I being objective about this situation? Uh, am I, do I have a bias? And like, actually, like, we have to go through the exercise of, of questioning ourselves and like really being rigorous about it. Um, instead of just assuming that we know, we know best. Um, but that takes a lot of work. And so even, you know, you said earlier that you'd hope that you had stood up and stood for like, things as we saw them but i understand that people don't like you sacrifice a lot if you're the person that that stands up and, and does something about it uh you have you have things to risk and that's part of this like the system man that, that like <laughs> it holds us down because you are everything is tied to your employment and by going against the grain you're you're risking that and then what do you have like that that's all you have that's the other thing too i think that keeps people from or has kept people from talking about it more is that like, uh, yeah, if you lose your job, like you at least in the United States, like you lose your health insurance too, and that's not cheap. Like we were, we were on private health insurance for a little bit, and we're two healthy adults, and it was like a thousand dollars a month, and I was just like, who has money for this? <laughs> so yeah, people would rather just kind of deal with it and uh, keep their job and keep their heads low, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not unique to just games. Oh. When I think about like the challenges for women in games, uh, I go back to my prior career, which was, you know, sports writing. And I think about the women that would have to like walk into a men's locker room after a sporting event. And I mean, like, I didn't want to be there, right? Like, like it's, it's not a fun place to be. It's very like insular and, you know, you're talking about a team and now you have these outsiders coming in and asking all these weird questions. Literally while people are like walking out of a shower and like putting on deodorant, like it, it's a crazy thing, you know, like 
you would have to like, and you would have to sit there and then there would be like a scrum of people. So you're like, and I, I know if I remember my history correctly, you know, it was really bad for women and then it got better and still not best, right? Mm -hmm. Like they still have room to improve. I'm sure. Um, I know it's been a while since I've been in a scrum, but I'm sure it's still not best. But, you know, I do feel like there is at least some progress there. Do you see any progress in the gaming industry? Do you see things at least getting better a little bit? Or does it feel like we're stuck in a rut here? I think things are getting better. Um, I do think, unfortunately, it's as a result of other people suffering. I guess that's just the way things go. Like, uh, I wish it didn't have to come to that point. But every single time we do get an Activision Blizzard case out in the wild and people come forth with all their stories it kind of it it puts pressure on other studios to want to be better um and i think that has been happening more and more often uh, which is great and like more there's more resources available more people are willing to talk about it um and so it is definitely getting better uh i wish People didn't have to like be in the crosshairs to to make it better in the first place, but that just it seems to be the way that change happens. Um, but I have I have hope. Like it's gotten better every single place that I've gone. Um, even with uh, with Scopely at my specific studio, like we had a big discussion about it, and it was very clear that we did not want to have those kinds of situations happen at at our at our company, and they took it very very seriously. Like many hours of discussions about it uh with anybody who wanted to participate and uh a lot of action items came out of out of that and you know i i left before i could see like any of those really being implemented but uh i do think that there is a lot of uh like societal pressure to to make these changes happen more quickly you kind of touched on it a little bit in your answer there but i want to kind of dig in a little bit deeper I know you were um, quoted in The Verge about how um, I think let me let me let me read it. It's really hard for one person to do something about it, barring me raising money to start my own studio, which will what impact ten people in ten years. And you were talking about this, right? You're talking about fixing abuse and fixing, mm-hmm. you know, harassment. Is the pressure like is that going to be enough, or does there also need to be kind of a mind shift? Um, I I always think about it as like, if you have a really strong leader and they say it is not going to be this way and they are good at leading, they can always fix this. Because ultimately, if they set the tone and they make it a priority, then it that feeds down. And, and when people don't follow that, they go, right? Like that's how strong leadership works. Now in the gaming industry where there's a lot of like, Flim flammy. I'm like dancing here. No one can see me, but like, you know, I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders and there's a lot of flim flamminess to it. And it's not that there's not great leaders. Obviously there is. It's a great industry, but I think there's a flim flamminess from leadership on understanding why this is so important. Do you see the industry having the leaders capable of saying, Hey, this needs to become a real tangible priority? Yes. I do think that they already exist at these companies. I don't know if they're in the leadership positions yet uh 
I guess that's my my short answer. Um, yeah, they exist. They're already they're already here, but they're just they're not at that they're not at that level yet. Yeah. I, one of the things is that I also think all the time, and this is like you know, like hey, let's let's go ahead and play the business imperative. Um, if you are burning down, running out, discouraging, preventing female developers from becoming great from, as you said, creating the safe spaces that they need to cultivate greatness, which would in turn become great products. You're basically like giving up on like half of your, your marketable audience or 45%. If you, you know, if you're like going to, you know, think about, I don't know how many non-gendered people there are out there. Um, but let's say it's like 45% just for the sake mm-hmm. of a number. That's a lot of market share that you're just like throwing away because you know, you don't want to make sure that women can work effectively too. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and I, like, I hate thinking about it in that way, but like that, I think that's, it is compelling is like, Hey, you want, you want to make more money then you should probably include more marginalized people so they can make games for bigger audiences. Um, and probably not in a way that excludes like, you know, men, um, they'll probably enjoy those games too. I think for like a lot of them. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure how I feel about the, like, the boycotts, especially around like Activision Blizzard about people, uh, you know, canceling their subscriptions and everything like that. Um, I don't know how I personally feel about it, but I do, I do think like that's the other thing that can happen to help encourage change is like we i think i think a lot of companies do need to see that business impact and so maybe that is the right call like maybe they do need to realize that people can vote for it with their dollar um but that is the that's the other big part of it too is like what's all the money that you're leaving on the table uh <laughs> think about the underserved audiences there and like what they they would like ravenously go after if you just made it for them well i mean how how do we not learn from animal crossing and stardew valley right yeah. Like my daughter loved Animal Crossing, right? She's 10. She loves games. She loves art. She plays games all the time. We, it's, you know, how much time she gets with games is a, it's a very real conversation, you know? Um, like I, I think I've threatened her with going China because China, you know, recently instituted the Monday to Thursday, no kids playing video game ban. Um, you know, like that's literally something that happened, you know, and I, like I'm not that strict, but um, it's it's shocking to me that there isn't a stronger pull. Uh, now I do feel like you know mobile space definitely understands mm-hmm. that they have a different audience. Did you feel that working with some of the mobile developers was there um, or do you think that was a disconnect? Like, and that they still need to think through that audience segment segmentation a little bit more. I think mobile developers have a pretty good idea uh of that like they're they're way more aware of who their audience is and who they're serving and how they're going to do it um with the games i've worked on they're still primarily focused on like a male audience uh because of ips and like just the general gameplay um but yeah you you see it with with a bunch of other mobile games like you know because they're they're just more they have more variety or they're more targeted towards a a a femme audience of some sort um so they're they're way more aware of it i do i'm a little um 
pessimistic about it because I do think it is from a very like product perspective instead of being like, let's make games for everybody. You know, it's not it's not like a completely altruistic, like I want to make a wonderful mobile game for marginalized people. Um, they're certainly out there, but they're not the ones that you hear about, I think. Like they're not the, you know, um, the candy crushes. Uh, they're not the the top ten on the app store. Um, there are plenty of wonderful games, uh, mobile games out there that do reach those audiences, but it's just not on the same the same scale, you know. Um, so yeah, mobile mobile developers get it. They're very numbers driven. I think they go in eyes wide open about what their markets look like and and what they should expect and what changes to make if they want to reach a new one. For sure, absolutely. Uh, we did a uh, at Cat Daddy. We did like a a mobile game book club and so every other week we would choose a new mobile game uh to play and we would get together at lunch and discuss it and we were looking at slot games at one point in time and uh realized that they could get like a very even 50 50 split of men and women if they just changed the aesthetic of of uh, a slot machine rather than like the traditional you get like the the willy wonka and the chocolate factory and like wizard of oz uh themed slots uh, instead, if you go to like a dark fantasy, uh, then you got a 50-50 split um, instead of more casual, you know, uh, players. It was very interesting. So they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I worked with some of those mobile slot guys. They're, uh, they're a totally different, different, yeah. different world than what, you know, we work on in more like the core AAA experience world. Okay. This has been awesome. And we are, uh, we've been rocking here for a little bit. So I want to try to like wrap this up, but I still have a few more questions. Uh, these are kind of the questions we always like to ask. Um, the first one is, uh, like, you know, I always think about, you know, what I didn't know as a journalist that I know today and, um, how boy, I would have loved to have had some of my more like now that I've worked in business, like I would have loved to have some of that acumen as a young journalist, especially like covering like pro sports. Um, what do you wish you knew about the game industry uh, earlier in your career when you were younger? I think it goes back to what we were talking about way in the beginning of this, which is the the different personalities. I wish I had known about that sooner. I think I would have saved myself a lot of pain if I knew one that was just going to be a thing because I, I was used to to what you were talking about is that like people separate work and personal like I was used to working with people who were very just like I'm here to do work and that's it uh, and that, that's all it was but instead you show up in games and people are like this is my life passion and you're gonna have to deal with me whether you like it or not uh, which I was just like not prepared for whatsoever. And so knowing that those personalities exist and you're going to have to, if you want to be happy and like succeed, especially because you don't know who you're going to encounter whenever you join a new studio, you just have to roll with it. Um, so I know that's like a very like soft, soft skills kind of answer, but that's, I think if I had my expectations managed a little bit more in terms of uh, you may not like how this person operates, but you're going to have to find a way to work with them not even just around them but with them and make them like feel good about it like i think i would have been much more successful uh as a younger person in games 
I think that's a great answer. And um, I think that's a good one for anybody listening to think about, right? Like how to work better with people. I mean, so much of what we do, especially in video games, it's big teams, right? Like, you know, like having relationships. And a lot of times, you know, when I've talked to developers that are on smaller teams, it's because of that. It's literally because they're like, I don't want to work with the type of developer I don't know how to work with. But when you want to make a big game, you need a lot of people. And that means you're going to have different personalities. So I think that's... um it's good for all of us to remember. Okay, so what kind of games are you playing these days? Or not what kind of games, what games are you currently playing? Because I know we have not played PUBG in a hot minute, so no. um, we'll have to get back on that. But <laughs> in the meantime, what, what's, kind of, uh, what, what's kind of been keeping you busy on, on, on the games these days? Um, I've been mostly playing Switch games right now. Um, I uh, just started playing Yuppie Psycho, which is a very interesting... Uh, oh, so it weird name. It'll make Great sense in, in, in a second. Um, I I asked on Twitter a couple days ago uh, for recommendations on uh, pixel art top down horror games. It's a very like specific thing that I really wanted to play. Like I wanted to know, tell me the best ones. And a bunch of people recommended this one to me, and so I bought it. And it's basically just a, uh, it's a a uh, kind of uh horror survival game with a little bit of action in it um but you play as uh you, you work in a building you're you're just a like a, a, a i think you're a lower class citizen who has just been granted a job offer and so you put on your your suit and tie and you go on the subway and you show up at this job and uh you're tasked to kill the witch that has plagued this building and this company and like makes people do weird things and so it's like spooky. It's spooky, and there's a lot of like dynamic stif- stuff that happens. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a fun. It's funny. It's very cute, um, and it's uh, it's very entertaining. So I've been playing that, and uh, I've been playing a lot of Binding of Isaac. Uh, just that's just kind of like my go-to game when I go to sleep and I wake up. I start playing that because I. Have like barely scratched the surface of it, even though it came out a decade ago. Um, I've I've poured hundreds of hours into it, and the game is hard, <laughs> and so I'm trying to get through it all. Um, I, those are those have been mostly my my two ones, and every once in a while, you know, the third one I've been playing recently too has been Griftlands, uh, and it's a card game. Is that uh, Clay? Clay Entertainment. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They make great games. Yeah, um, it's awesome. I love that game. Um, I've been playing it off and on since it came out uh, last summer. Um, but I, every once in a while, I get the, the itch for it again, and I am uh, playing that again, too. Nice. Mm-hmm. Shay, you playing anything right now? Uh, Apex Legends, as always, but uh, I've been traveling a lot lately, so I've been playing more mobile games than I normally do. And so the go-to mobile games are actually... 2k mobile and uh, i've been playing league of legends wild rift a little bit uh having fun with that yeah so mixing it up a little bit from the normal answer (laughs) i haven't been playing very many games lately i've been you know i think just maybe once or twice a week still playing clash royale um i think i played PUBG some solos i know i haven't played with anybody in a few weeks um i'm still I've been reading, interestingly enough. So I've been reading instead of playing games at night. I'm reading 
the uh, Expanse series. Oh, cool. So I just finished the first book and I'm reading the second. I love the TV show. And I was always told, read the books. The first book did not disappoint. So I guess I'm still waiting for the MMO that that... I guess the the rumor, I don't know, maybe this is true. They built that whole thing to be an MMO and then it died. And they're like, well, we'll just write books because we have so much world that we've built here. And it's it's like, where's the MMO? <laughs> I want the MMO now. Um, okay. Uh, another question we always love to ask is, what advice would you give to someone that wants to break into the gaming industry? This is always tough for me to answer because it's, it feels like it's been such a long time since I since I quote broke into the games industry, which I I like you I I just kind of fell into it, like I got lucky. Um, I will say from having like interviewed like new grads uh, or people transitioning into the industry from a different industry um, recently, I see a lot of like healthy portfolios, especially if you go into like game design. Um, make sure you have you have work to show. Um, it's a little more straightforward for for artists. And I would really focus on your interview skills. Uh, I have to say those go a long way. If you if you know, like take notes during your interviews and have a list of questions that you're ready to ask them. Because uh, nothing deflates me more when I ask somebody or I'm like, okay, like we just spent 45 minutes talking and I'll leave the remaining 15 to you uh what questions do you have and they're like oh no i don't really have any and i'm like you're not curious about anything at all like come on man like let's give me something uh i want to i want to know what's important to you um i want to know like what you're looking for what you're trying to look out for um, what you want to learn things like that like i want to i want to feel that you're interested in in being here too um and so just Practicing that, I think, would be a, a big help. And it makes you stand out if you get to the interview process um, of being like, it makes you seem very prepared and you've given a lot of thought to not only the position, but who you're interviewing with, too. Um, because you'll get all the information ahead of time. So it might as well go do your homework. Um, I know it's annoying, right? Nobody likes to interview. Um, but if you if you put in like those 10 minutes of effort ahead of time, like it could... It could make or break your op- your option you're given. Love that answer. Also would say, write the questions down before yes. you walk into the interview. Because after going through 45 minutes of somebody asking you tough questions, your mind can blink. So if you have them ready, then, you know, then you're going to hit, I think, the note that you're trying to impress on them to hit. So I love that. Don't worry. All the all interviews are remote now. <laughs> Well, you're going in, so you get your notes right in front yeah, of you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you, Shay. I didn't even think about that. It's been so long since I've interviewed, but I mean, I should know. Um, last question. Um, what is a fascinating community that you're not currently working with or on that is drawing your attention? Uh, there's a whole movement for the past couple of years around uh, horror games that use PlayStation graphics or like are supposed to look like PS1 graphics. It's very specific. It's like a very specific genre of, of uh, scary games. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. Like I love uh, scary movies. Um, I love scary games when I can get my hands on them or I dedicate time to them. Uh, but there is like this 
funny resurgence of that kind of look, uh, of that aesthetic for, for games. And I think it's because uh, we've all realized that that's probably the creepiest way to display horror. Like, it's low poly, um, but it leaves just enough for your imagination to be like, that thing looks bad enough to freak me out. Um, and I don't know. I don't know, like, exactly. I wish I, I could put more words to it where I want to understand, like, what it is in our brains that makes that seem scarier or more frightening than, like, the the highly polished models we're getting today. Um, but maybe it's just, like, it's explaining too much, right? Maybe if we get the full picture, it's just like, oh, it's just a monster, whatever. Um, but you get this, like, jumbled mess of pixels on some spooky-looking figure uh, from PS1-era graphics. Like, yeah, that's kind of freaky in of, of itself. Um, so there's, like, a whole thing. And there's even, like, a... I think it's called the PS1 horror disc demo disc uh where it's uh it's a whole uh you know demo disc like on itch.io or something like that where it's just a collection of of games in that style um from indie developers and so it's like a, it's a whole movement and i'm fascinated by it um if i were to make uh if i if i wanted to go off and do my own thing i would be interested in contributing to that in some way but it's just like it's incredible the spirit there is incredible and it's funny how everybody is like gravitating towards that kind of game again so does that does sound really fascinating and you totally reminded me of when i was very young like like you know grade schooler there was the big debate between scary movies and gore movies mm. and i wonder if there's something to that that has persisted on into this this idea of the gore isn't necessarily scary. It's kind of like, you know, when you looky loo at a, at a, at a crash, you know, you don't really want to see anything. You just yeah. want to, you know, maybe the, the, the car crash is enough, but you don't want to see like any bodies hurt. But the, the gore is like, you see the limbs, you see the bodies on the PS1, you know, a uh, high poly count. It's the like, it's the horror of it. It's the mood. It's the setting. That sounds pretty cool. So it's the PS1. Horror disc, yeah, demo disc, demo disc, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's at least one collection of them. I'm sure there are, there are others out there. Um, uh, yeah, there are a couple of um, YouTubers that that do let's plays or streams of those kinds of games, and so that's how I discovered them. Uh, and it's just it's fun. It's it's a lot of yeah, just fun, and everything feels like a like a crap. Like it comes from the heart. People have poured their their heart for this specific genre into these games, and it shows. Well, that's an awesome community for everybody listening to check out. And on that note, Leslie, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the Community Feedback Loop. It's been great to have you. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome. That's all for our show today. Thank you so much for listening to the Community Feedback Loop podcast. You can listen to previous episodes for more conversations with other amazing people we've met in the video games industry. And please subscribe to Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify to support the show. We'll catch you next week.